Hi, Vinti Singh here, and you are about to hear a great conversation that I had with Dr. Tom Termezai. You are going to hear me reference the CurveBeam user meeting, which we initially had planned for October of 2022. Since then, we have decided to postpone our user meeting to spring in 2023 so that we can bring you an even better program. We don't have exact details yet, but we will pass along the new venue and the dates once they're available. And uh, Dr. Tom Termezai, we're going to make sure is still going to be there. So just wanted to give you that heads up before we dive into this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curvebeam Connect. I am your host, Vinti Singh, Director of Marketing here at Curvebeam. Today, we have another preview of the type of quality content you can expect if you attend Curvebeam's user meeting themed weight-bearing CT new directions this October 17th to 19th at the beautiful Inn of the Chesapeake Bay on Kent Island, Maryland. Today, I am joined by Dr. Tom Termezai, PhD, who is a consultant MSK radiologist at the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospitals, part of the NHS Foundation Trust in Norfolk, United Kingdom. He is also a founding member of the OCTA Research Group, which stands for Computed Tomography in Osteoarthritis Research. He is going to be one of our speakers at our user meeting. So, uh, Dr. Termezai, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Vinti, thank you ever so much for the invitation to speak to you today and also to come and speak and share my thoughts and really importantly, meet people at the user meeting in Maryland in, in October. I'm really excited um, to do that, especially also because I've been asked to be the radiology representative on the board for the International Weight-Bearing CT Society. So I'm sure I'll be meeting you know uh, fellow society members there, but also reaching out across the world um, to new people to join the cause of the use of, uh, uh, of CT in this way. Absolutely. And congratulations on that recent appointment. That is very exciting. It will help bridge uh, what the OCTA and the Weight-Bearing CT Society are, are doing because there are a lot of uh, 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 parallel initiatives that both organizations have. Yeah, I think I think so. Absolutely. And we've already had a couple of great initiatives together. And um, and, and I think that um, bringing radiologists um, more into the world of weight bearing CT imaging is going to be a really important thing. And one of the tasks I've been charged with through that board position and, and coming and getting involved with events like like this user meeting is going to be essential as we move forwards. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And just like on the weight bearing CT society, we are uh, ecstatic to have radiology representation in our user meeting as well, because radiology is such a key and critical stakeholder to making sure that weight-bearing CT imaging can be properly implemented in a clinical and or research setting. So uh, I have a few questions here for you today. Um, you, you are a wealth of knowledge, so narrowing this down to just a few topics was a little bit difficult, but uh, I did my best. So you did, in fact, just return from Tokyo, uh, where you presented your research at the 16th International Workshop on Osteoarthritis Imaging. Can you talk about what some of your biggest takeaways from that event were? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, first of all, that I think uh, Tokyo and Japan is just an amazing place. It was my re first return trip after about 20 years, and I was just always so excited to go back. And I think that for anyone that's um, you know interested in a worldly experience, taking a trip to to Japan, Tokyo, and the, and, and and around, just fantastic. I will be going back there with my family. We made some fantastic friends whilst we were out there. So that's the you know the social side of things uh, sorted. Um, from the perspective of the meeting, what has been um, absolutely uh, really pleasing to see from the perspective of Okta and also from just uh, um, weight-bearing CT and CT in general is that it is forming a, a much larger part of um, the agenda. There's much greater discussion about uh, about CT uh, broadly, um, and we are bringing with us to present in scientific sessions um, lots of research that involves weight-bearing CT um, through colleagues across the world, and I want to you know encourage encourage people to consider if they have work that revolves around osteoarthritis with the use of um, weight-bearing CT to consider joining us in that workshop and at, at future events because it's a fantastic opportunity to engage with radiologists, a lot of whom really are um, embedded in the world of, of MRI and, and we are moving on from radiography, but what we are more and more recognising is that CT is a really important adjunct that can outperform radiography in a large number of areas, which I know will be a big theme of the event in, in October and, and is part of the key message of weight-bearing CT. And it's not there to compete with MRI, but it is there to work alongside uh, MRI and provide some, some insights also that MRI can't deliver on. And I think reflecting back on, on the whole meeting, it, as I said it before, it was really pleasing to see that, you know, not just my own research there with CT, but from and, and users such as Professor Neil Segal from Kansas, but CT now coming in from all, all, all over the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, really, on that topic, um, at our user meeting, at the Curfew user meeting, um, You've done some yourself some significant research in the area of hip osteoarthritis. Talking about weight bearing CT or CT in general, the impact that that can make. What promise do 3D imaging parameters have to improve prediction of hip osteoarthritis? Yeah, so if we are focusing at the hip, I mean, my my own own research has sort of been on semi-quantitative scoring of uh, of disease features such as cysts and osteophytes. Um, that was something that I started out with, and I progressed on to um, looking at. Uh, 3D quantification of joint space width. Basically, my feeling right from the start was that radiographs just were not doing a very good job, or at least in the hands of those interpreting them, they weren't doing a very good job. Um, so if we're trying to think about the prediction of osteoarthritis, I guess we need to try and think about what we're trying to predict. Are we trying to predict a, an event during the process of the disease, or are we trying to predict who's going to get the disease? And at the hip, one of the really key factors um, that we recognize is some morph morphology. Now, we don't diagnose for imaging, but we describe from imaging whether there's CAM or pincer morphology. And the use of 3D information um, is proving to be quite important. Um, my own research has identified that there are shape patterns of the acetabulum, but not necessarily the proximal femur that can predict future total hip replacement. Um, but I think there is a lot of undiscovered 
um, un undiscovered information from a 3D perspective about not just the shape of the hip, but the joint space width, um, and also other bony parameters such as density um, that will inform us uh, on who is likely to get OA and who is likely, importantly, to progress to perhaps a critical point. And and, and also, if we put this in the res research trial settings, um, if we want to try and um, phenotype or, uh, put, should we say, put into certain boxes different types of patients, then I think CT gives us a wealth of information. It's also important to recognize that the, C, the, the joint in the hip is very constrained. It's a very close, tight fit, which is somewhat different to the knee, but perhaps more similar to the ankle. So the scales that we're dealing with there, MRI can struggle with, um, but CT um, is able to get some finer, finer resolution and finer detail. That's, that's exciting. Um, but uh, your talk is going to be, I believe the title of your talk is moving from research to clinical. And the reason I bring that up specifically is mm. the conversations in, not in the research realm, but in the clinical realm, um, a lot of orthopedic surgeons often feel that any advanced imaging for um, OA cases, uh, whether MRI or CT is often unnecessary. Uh, you know, uh, mm. if you can, see the OA on x-ray, that's enough. Or, you know, by the time, if you can see it on CT or MRI, you know, how is it, how is it, their question is, how is that going to help me help my yeah, patient? Yeah. So can you talk about the value of improving prediction and what that could mean in a, from a clinical perspective? How would that change clinical so paradigms? So I'm going to do a, a classic and not answer your question <laughs> and talk okay. about you, you mentioned you mentioned prediction. And I think what's really important that currently the clinical state for prediction is really all about the symptoms. And we mustn't ignore that. And and, and I uh, and, and I think it's the functionality, it's the function and pain, which will often lead to the clinical decision point that someone is going to need the ultimate intervention of their arthroplasty. However, there are many other different types of interventions, so injectates and physiotherapy, rehabilitation, um, you know, handling greater Trochanteric pain syndrome, for example, with gait, um, um, gait adjustment and physiotherapy. And what I think and is going to be an answer that's going to, you know, come up from me again and again as I po as you pose these questions and maybe I go on to pose these questions at the user meeting is um, there's a lot that we don't know. We don't know a lot. And when we are given a new tool such as, and you know, you have quite rightly mentioned, and I didn't address beforehand, the weight-bearing aspect of these technologies, we need to understand a lot more. Now, if we just look at, for example, how um, an ortho an orthopedic surgeon m might use CT, and in fact, they have been using it for a long time um, for surgical planning, and now we can perhaps consider templating in 3D. Um, rather than just off-plane radiographs. We might consider what is the um, the alignment in advanced disease in complex arthroplasty and surgical planning when you can do that in the standing position, when you might have leg length discrepancies. Um, and I haven't, you know, I, I can touch on, for example, what we might consider in the younger individuals coming back and probably answering your question about prediction whole lower limb alignment, which I know is going to be a big topic of discussion and something that uh, technology such as the high-rise um, machine from Kirby will add into. So we are looking at torsional alignments and not just the cam pincer type thing. It's actually how the femur is twisted and what that means in the context of what's happening at the hip, what's happening at the knee, what's happening at the ankle, because it's all 
linked. Um, we have, when we are young, a relatively pliable skeleton when it comes to development. It can readjust very well, but some people do persist into adulthood um, um, with these alignment and torsional um, um, problems, and that can precipitate early osteoarthritis. And if there is anything that we can do to avoid them having the requirement of these more drastic, you know, end-stage interventions um, and allow them to lead a more fruitful fun um, functionally um, active and less less painful um, time before their hips might start to become a, a big problem, the better. And, you know, having this kind of 3D, the 3D multi-level technology throughout the lower limb is no doubt going to unlock some information that we have just haven't been able to um, encompass before. So, so in essence, uh, we, there's still research that needs to be done before yes. we could implement um, some sort of predictive algorithms into the clinical setting where if we're seeing this, you yes. know, do this to, to prevent uh, further or to prevent acceleration or, uh, you know, those, those types of things. We're not quite there yet, but this research is important I, because it's the first yes. step towards getting there. At, absolutely at, at the hip okay we, we have only just touched on the hip and i would i would gonna segue slightly or rather segue downwards um to the knee sure. where we do know that there are some very important alignments um for example uh, around the patellofemoral joint where a lot of research has been done a lot of kinematics by that i mean dynamic imaging of what's going on during flexion and extension because it, Often the patellofemoral joint has been considered the sort of the poor cousin or the kind of elephant in the room or the thing that we just aren't really addressing in the context of osteoarthritis, but, you know, a painful knee, shall we say. And having weight-bearing imaging in which we might be able to um, develop protocols, and we shall probably come on to this, um, uh, perhaps uh, uh, visualizing at different degrees of flexion um, and understanding what's going on with the way that the patella moves in the trochlea um, is, is, is really important. A lot of research has been done on that already, but it hasn't necessarily, although it is starting to be done, it hasn't been completed and fully understood. Put it this way, we know that there are interventions that can help with alignment, not all of them successful, but we don't know what um, the weight-bearing CT um, has to add to that complete in, in its completeness. So that's another really important area. Mm -hmm. of, of research. Can you talk about mm. how Okta, uh, maybe even give us a little bit of background on you know, how many members Okta has, and um, but mm. how is Okta helping to, to organize all of this research that's occurring all over the world and maybe even coming helping to come up with some standards or some guidelines? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yes, I think it's first of all really important to say that I'm just sort of one of the one of the team. We have an executive committee, six of us: um, um, Neil Neil Segal from Kansas, Sarah Manska um, from Canada, Andy Wong from Canada, Catherine Stock from um, um, Australia, and Mikko Finlar from Finland. So we've tried to be as um, uh, as geographically diverse as possible and take people from different backgrounds, rehabilitation, um, epidemiology, clinical radiology, um, and AI science. So we've actually seemed to have a really interesting mix of individuals at the executive level. This was an, a movement born out of um, COVID. And we had our, 
we started it just before. And then what we found is that we were able to engage with people during COVID from all over the world. Again, all kinds of different um, backgrounds, as I mentioned, bioengineering to clinical, everything in between and around. We have only about 50 members. Look, we are dealing with a niche area of research, but we are growing and people are joining us all the time. We have individuals within our group that have access to the most cutting edge technologies, for example, spectral CT to do with um, photon counting detectors as opposed to energy integrating detectors and what that's going to bring to um what that's going to bring to the world of CT just as a whole, but also obviously research around osteoarthritis um, uh, and bone uh, bone and joint disease. Um, and we have people of many different levels, people that are uh, vastly experienced in their career and people that are just starting out. And great to see people like uh, Milan Janssen from the Netherlands um, joining us recently, who has had some success with presenting, for example, at the URC meeting on some research that involves CT. And for us, the main message at the moment is to keep... Um, raising the profile of CT in, in, in osteoarthritis imaging through submission and presentation at meetings, through soft influence, through interactions with industries such as yourself um, at, at Curvebeam. Whilst at the same time, we are working on some hard outputs, such as a systematic review of the role of CT in the assessment of subchondral bone, which we are almost through. Um, and most importantly, again, I've hinted at this before: protocol standardisation, and we have various. We have a scientific subcommittee, and that is one of the one of the areas that we um, are looking to try and push forwards with because we know it's so important. But this is a little shout out to anyone who's listening: that please do get in touch if you would like to to join us. Um, this kind of protocol standardisation work is not just for CT, and it will. In, um, sorry, not just for osteoarthritis, um, and it is really necessary across all of weight bearing CT because look you know one of the questions I know that we, we you know we will be addressing is unilateral versus bilateral and the answer is we just don't know until we test this and decide on this through expert consensus what we would like to standardize and then we can start me making measurements that we hope are, re are reproducible um, and repeatable so if there's anyone out there that's listening that wants to get in touch with me and with Okta to join us in that drive more than welcome well, we, we're dancing around it, so let's address it head on. Uh, what are some protocols <laughs> that we do need to get standardized or, or at least mm. have some parameters or, or guidelines around so that uh, both from a research and clinical setting where uh, we are, our images can be comparable and, and we're all comparing apples to yeah. apples or, or determining yeah. or coming up with best practices for how to best view anatomy for, for certain conditions? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really, really good question. And there's one paper that um, has always caught my attention when I've looked through. I, you know, I keep a regular stream coming in through my PubMed alerts. And there's one that I keep coming back to when I go back and search in my library. And that's by um, Richter and colleagues, uh, just from 20, uh, 2021. Um, automatic software-based 3D angular measurement for weight-bearing CT provides different angles than measured measurement by hand, foot and ankle surgery. Uh, that says it all, actually. Um, so what we need to decide is what is important from an expert consensus that involves 
clinicians, scientists, um, whether they be imaging, clinical, rehabilitation, what is most important? Is it important to have both feet equally loaded, for example, both limbs equally loaded? Or is it important to peak load one limb? Are we happy with a halfway or do we want the full loading? And that's not even the full because we're not during the gait cycle. Do we um, do we want a specific angulation? And that is really key. Historically, angulation for radiographic assessment has been really important because the tube is has to be set at a certain angle. Now, CT obviates that need, but it adds the new problem that there will be very different relationships across a joint when you change the degree of flexion or rotation. Um, and, you know, at the, at the hip, that's even more important because you've got even greater degrees of freedom than you do at the ankle and the knee, I suppose, unless you've got a very unstable joint in which they start wobbling all over the place, which in itself is very problematic. Anyway, so this kind of protocol standardization, for example, angulation is going to be really key for um, joint space width analysis. If we're going to pick up things sensitively, which some of my research has shown weight-bearing CT can do better than radiographs, you're going to have to consistently image in the same way. And not just so that these things are re reproducible, um, because part of what this research has shown by Richter and colleagues is that they are eminently more reproducible when we start using software-based solutions, which of course makes sense. I would trust a computer to measure something again and again in exactly the same way. That's what they do brilliantly, but they need to be told what to measure. And um, they, they are going to be not necessarily things that are obvious to us, but they do need to be things that can be done in a reproducible way. So that is between different, um, different softwares potentially, because it's going to be an open market, uh, but also in a repeatable way. And so by that, I mean the day-to-day -day test repeatability so that you know when you measure something on your patient that if you do it basically the next day, or in the same day or the next week, and there's no been no huge change in their disease state, that it gives you the same uh, results. Because when they go and have their surgery, or they have their injection, or they have their physiotherapy course, and they're two months, three months down the line, you need to know your limits of, you know, detectable difference. So, because if you are always looking for changes that are within those limits, you are on a hiding to nothing. Your, 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 your test is not good enough. But if we can optimize that by standardizing our acquisition protocols, maybe part of that is finding out what protocols allow the best detection of subtle changes. Of course, that's very relevant to osteoarthritis as well, my field. Then we stand the best chance of making the best use um, of the, these kinds of, uh, of this kind of, uh, this kind of weight bearing technology. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's, that's going to be critical in the long term. Um, and it's not an easy task because just take one specific parameter and you're going to get 10 different opinions from uh, various uh, people. Um, and how do you how do you come up with standards? And uh, it'll be it's, it's yeah, great yeah. that this committee is taking that on and is saying this is important and we're going to do the work to figure that out. Um, so we'll be watching and, and seeing what uh, you come up with in terms of guidance. Um, you had mentioned, and I do wanna come back to this because this is also uh, another topic which you will be speaking on at the weight-bearing uh, user, CT user meeting, um, is from a radiology perspective, um, what is the importance of bilateral imaging? Because of course, one of the benefits that we 
tout of our our systems is that you can capture a bilateral image. You you will get uh, both limbs in in a scan while the patient is standing naturally. Um, we we have when we work with our customers a lot of times um, we do have to work with them to customize how the images are flowing through packs because the surgeons will often want that bilateral view because they want to see the contralateral side but the radiologists will only want the uh, anatomy of interest and so there's a little bit of a, a disconnect um, yes can can you yes. talk about as a radiologist, you know, what, what is your viewpoint on this? And is, is there a middle ground or is there, you know, maybe a new standard that needs to emerge? What, what, what are your thoughts here? Well, of course, as any good radiologist, I'm, I, I'm just wish to please my orthopedic surgical colleagues. <laughs> so <laughs> the simple answer would be say we do just what they want, but, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's review that with a, a bit more seriously. And there are a couple of really important points that I've been able to reflect on about this, actually. Um, and we are also assuming, and, and this harks back to one of the very first things we talked about, that this imaging is within a radiology clinic setting. We must must forget that it's perfectly acceptable for clinicians to be users and, and justifiers and operators without the involvement of radiologists, which I wouldn't necessarily encourage um, because, you know, we're, you're missing an important link in the chain. But it is technically possible. And that does bring me on to one point that, for example, in the NHS, in the United Kingdom, every report is le legally required. Sorry, every imaging examination is legally required to have a report. Sometimes we defer that responsibility onto our clinical colleagues. Um, that saves us as radiologists a lot of time, uh, especially when we know that there's a relationship whereby the clinicians are willing to accept the responsibility. And let's let's be absolutely honest. Um, when we're looking at a foot and ankle, there isn't normally going to be a nasty cancer hiding in the background. And even if there is something amiss, the um, the clinician is is going to spot that. Whereas if we're looking at something like a spine, um, the subtleties of perhaps of, of an aortic aneurysm or some mediastinal lymphadenopathy, that is what we are trained for as radiologists. So there we have already an interesting workflow potential whereby the radiologists need not be involved in the reporting at all. And so although they may be curators of the PACS imaging system and you raise some interesting points about you handle data and you could even argue that what's the most efficient way of handling that data? Why don't we seek bilateral imaging all imaging within one so that that within one data set so you're not splitting things, you're not creating potential double data set, double loading, um, um, you know, servers. So, you know, that's actually a perfectly valid, you know, and the costs that come associated with that, um, you know, maybe you want to streamline this as best as possible for your business, whatever that, whatever the motivations of that may be, public or private healthcare. Um, but going back to the bilateral, unilateral from a radiologist perspective, um, when you have two limbs within the same imaging field, there is potential for artifact to come in from the opposite side. Now, I think that is an important consideration okay and especially if they've had intervention and we know that a lot of people who are going to be having these scans at the feet will have metal work potentially in either the same or the alternative foot that raises some pressure on on you as the uh, as the providers of uh, to, to perhaps offer some software solutions on metal artifact reduction which i know that you that um, you know through previous conversations you have and i and people in my, my wider research collaborations have been working on um, something we identified as in, as really important in the paper that we've just um 
submitted to say that actually, you know, it can interfere quite a lot with um, automated analysis. The human eye may be better at overcoming some of these things, but automated analysis packages may well struggle. So do we say that, you know, in the presence of metalwork, maybe you should lift the, the foot that is not of interest out? So th that is, um, or, the, or the limb, the side, um, and and as I've hinted at before, you don't get a choice at the hips. You get both hips. That's it. You can't. I'd like to see someone solve that one <laughs> without a chainsaw. Um, and then we come to um, uh, uh, something really important, which is dose. One of the huge things about um, cone beam CT technology is that it can be a factor of five less than multi-detector CT in terms of the dose and only just a little bit factor of two more than sometimes these are rough broad figures um, you know we're talking background radiation doses um, just being doubled or tripled just for having one of these examinations but you know if you do have one limb in you technically may are only Play, providing dose to one limb what are the dose parameters do you have to raise your you know your current your tube current to achieve a certain standard of imaging when you have both i mean this is getting all very technical but you did ask finty so um <laughs> so the, the, these these are important things and, and secondly you know um maintaining a good gait uh, a good a good stance rather sorry um is going to be harder with one Knee. And we also have seen in some of the early imaging difficulty for the cone beam 20 second rotation as opposed to the, the helical lying flat, you know, just done, done within the blink of an eye, that, that it is difficult to maintain a, 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 a still position. And I think would be even harder with one leg compared to two. So there are lots of different factors. My personal feeling is that we should be optimizing because dose is low. We should um, and 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 we can handle um, our metal artifact in certain ways. We should be dealing with bilateral acquisitions. But I can I would absolutely be willing to sit around and have a glass of something with someone that was adamantly for unilateral to to really you know to to, to, to thrash that one out. And, and that's the sort of interaction that I'm hoping that we're really going to get at the user meeting is, is folks who are coming in with different perspectives, having experience with weight-bearing CT systems and, and debating and, and learning from each other. And um, uh, that's, it's really why I'm encouraging as many of our customers as possible to come because they'll be able to pick your brain and, and vice versa. Um, uh, We've we've covered a lot of ground here, and we are. Uh, um, I don't want to uh, give it all away, so um, I think this is probably a good spot to maybe um, start to conclude. Uh, but we do have to mention that you have a podcast yourself. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Where <laughs> people can go um, to get some more um, perspectives um, if they're interested in in radiology in in general. Yeah, uh, Vinti, thanks ever so much for asking. This is always a very polite question to ask if your guest has a podcast themselves. And I'm very pleased that you did. Thank you. Um, it's called the, um, the Crash Podcast, Clinical Radiology Academics Speak. Honestly, this was a born of something out of the pandemic. I was supposed to through an award I got from the Royal College of Radiologists, who are sort of the, the so they fund the podcast. Um, in 2020, I was awarded um, a prize, a professor, professorship prize to go and visit lots of training schemes around the UK. But I couldn't after two visits because in 
in March 2020, or it was locked down, etc., etc. So I was tasked with coming up a way of still inspiring individuals to be excited about academic radiology and imaging research. Um, it was initially targeted at radiologists, but it has shown to have a global audience, not just for those in the UK that were interested in a career in radiology or academic radiology. We've got listeners um, um, from the US, from Guatemala, from India, um, or all over the world. So um, you can find this podcast on all good um, platforms. We host it through Podbean, but it is available on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I know because I downloaded onto each device. <laughs> but we've had we've had really good response. And if you have any interest whatsoever in what is going on in UK imaging research um, and the kind of people that are doing it, then then check us out and um, and 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 interact as well. That is that is definitely one to check out. Well, uh, Dr. Tremes, this has been very enlightening. We'll see you in in less than a hundred days in in Maryland. We're very excited. Oh my! To, is it that... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you might be. I'm trying to think. Will you be traveling the furthest distance? We do also have a doctor coming from Chile, so I'm going to have to calculate which one is. I is think that's further. further. I, yeah, I, I held the furthest distance, I think, for for Tokyo, and um, I, I okay. think if we're sort of talking East Coast, that's not too that's not too bad, uh, bad for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's just crossing the pond, so uh, hopefully it'll be a comfortable Absolutely. trip for you as well. Yeah, but but can't wait to see you there. Enjoy some. Uh, crab together, which uh, Maryland is known for, oh, yes. and uh, and and talk all things weight bearing CT. You know, there'll be one really other important debate we're going to have is whether the crab in yeah. Norfolk is better than the crab in Maryland. Oh. So I'm looking forward okay. to that competition. As, okay, as yeah, well. yeah. Well, that that will be. I didn't I didn't even know Norfolk was known for its crab. So um, you'll Chroma have to... crab, very famous. Okay, yeah. okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, you'll have to describe that to us, and we'll have to. We'll have to see. We'll have to do a taste test. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, yeah. Right, Thanks we'll... again, once again, for the invitation. It's been a real pleasure to catch up with you. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your evening. And for those who are interested in attending, you can learn more about the user meeting at curvebeam.com slash user meeting. Hope to see you all there uh, and see you on the next podcast. Thanks so much.